Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Last week, watching the news, I caught a glimpse of workers moving the so-called Stone of Destiny from Edinburgh, Scotland, to London's Westminster Abbey, where Charles III was crowned king. Moving that 335-pound block of red sandstone, which measures about 26 inches by 16.7 by 10.5 inches, from Scotland to England, was historically significant because England had returned the stone to Scotland back in 1996. Some wondered back then if Scotland's independence movement would keep it from sending the stone back to England for the next coronation after uh, Queen Elizabeth died. I visited the Stone of Destiny myself in Westminster Abbey in 1995. It was positioned under the medieval coronation chair where Elizabeth sat to be crowned, back when I was still a child in 1953, quite a long reign. Three years prior to that, some students from Scotland had stolen the stone from Westminster Abbey and in the process broke it in two. It had been cracked, but the pieces were found and returned. For the most part, it had resided in Westminster Abbey since England took it from Scone, Scotland in 1296 where it had become known as the Stone of Scone. What is it that makes this stone so important to the coronation of kings and queens? Well, if I tell you it's believed the stone's original name was Bethel, meaning the house of God, and that it's also known as Jacob's Pillow and Jacob's Pillar, perhaps that Bible reference will jog your memory. The Bible tells us nearly 4,000 years ago, A young man named Jacob, the grandson of Abraham and destined to become father to the 12 tribes of Israel, had a spiritually transformative experience, perhaps even an NDE, at a place he named Bethel. The Bible describes the experience as Jacob's dream at Bethel, but it had the vision, the message, and the impact of an NDE. Here's Jacob's STE as it's described in Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, 
and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Twenty-two years later, Jacob was directed by God to pass through Bethel again, this time with his wives and flocks and servants. He was now a wealthy man, able to fulfill his promise to God, and he was there, it suggested, to take the stone named Bethel, the house of God, back with him to his father Isaac's home. Years later, when famine came to the land, Jacob and his family were forced to move to Egypt, and no doubt they took the stone with them. The Jews multiplied greatly in Egypt and were forced to serve as Pharaoh's slaves until hundreds of years later, Moses led an estimated 2.4 million of them out of Egypt. Of course, Jacob's stone was carried with them and also through their 40 years in the wilderness until the descendants of Jacob, now renamed by God the children of Israel, entered the land of Canaan. Now here's where crowning kings comes in. Sometime around 1020 BC, after the prophet Samuel had appointed his sons as Israel's judges, the people decided they wanted a king to rule them like the other countries had. God tells Samuel they are making a mistake, that Samuel should explain to them how a king will make slaves of the people and tax them and send their sons off to war. But still they insisted, saying, give us a king to lead us. Here's the passage from 1 Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out, up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what a king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain 
and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. No surprise, there are people yearning to be slaves to come you know, to some dictator, even to this day. We never seem to learn. But what about the stone? Well, legend tells us that when it came time to build Solomon's temple around 1000 BC, Jacob's pillar was considered for the cornerstone, but it was too rough and had sustained a crack, so it was rejected. Instead, it stood in the temple and became the pillar, the pillar seat, really, for coronating the kings of Israel. Psalm 118.22 is said to refer to it in this phrase. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Thus the stone named the house of God was incorporated into the first temple. Bethel stood in the larger house of God. Zedekiah was Judah's last king when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried the Jews off as captive slaves. Zedekiah and his sons were killed, but the Bible tells us the king's daughters were saved by the prophet Jeremiah. And since the royal bloodline can continue through women under Hebrew tradition, the royal bloodline wasn't lost. The Bible tells us Jeremiah took the daughters, his scribe Baruch, and several temple treasures, presumably including the stone of Bethel, now the symbol of the throne of David, and escaped to Egypt around 586 BC. From there, according to Irish legend, they traveled by ship to Spain and then to Hibernia, an ancient name for Ireland. Now, Irish legend tells us these were not the first Israelites to arrive in Ireland because some remnants of the ten tribes had migrated there after escaping from the Assyrians. And even before that, Moore's History of Ireland states that the ancient Irish, called the Danai or Danes, after Israel's tribe of Dan, separated from Israel around the time of the exodus from Egypt, and crossed to Greece, and then invaded Ireland. Raymond Capt writes that the ship the ships of the Tuatha de Danann, the tribe of Dan, are credited with bringing Jeremiah and Jacob's pillar to Ireland. Legend tells us they settled on Tara Hill, and the stone of destiny became the coronation stone for every high king of Eran for 1,040 years. The 11th edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica under Innisfail states, Innisfail, a poetical name for Ireland, is derived from Fowl or Lilia Fail, the celebrated stone, identified in Irish legend with a stone on which the patriarch Jacob slept when he dreamed of the heavenly ladder. The Lea Fail is supposed to have been brought to Ireland by the 
Danans and sent up and set up at Tara as the inauguration stone of the Irish kings. In the 6th century AD, the stone was taken to Scotland to crown their kings. There, in about 575, Aidan was crowned king of Scotland upon the stone of Leofail on the Scottish island of Iona. The stone stayed on Iona for almost 300 years until it was moved to Scone, and for centuries it served as the coronation stone for the kings of Scotland. In the 10th century, King Kenneth II had the stone placed on a pedestal before the Scone Abbey's high altar. The height could be adjusted according to the height of the monarch to be crowned. In 1296 AD, King Edward I of England had the stone moved to Westminster Abbey. He had a chair built of hardwood, six foot seven inches tall, in which to hold the stone under the seat to serve in coronations. It is known as St. Edward's Chair, or the Coronation Chair. At Windsor Castle, there was, and may still be, a genealogical table claiming the descent of the British throne from Israel's King David down through the Irish and Scottish lines. This is not a lineage of monarchy structured on bloodlines, or jurisdictions, or borders, but on the strength of the presence at coronations of the stone of Bethel, named by Jacob the house of God. And the presumed power of that stone is based solely on the story of an STE, perhaps an NDE, experienced by Jacob nearly 4,000 years ago. Last Saturday, we witnessed the coronation of Charles III, King of the United Kingdom. His predecessor by title, Charles II, was crowned King of Scotland, England, France, and Ireland in Scone on the first day of January 1651. He was warned by a brave minister at that time, in part, quote, Sire, it is said Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Sire, you are a king, and a king in covenant with the Lord. It is the Lord's throne. Remember that you have a king above you, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who commandeth thrones. Your throne is the Lord's throne, and your people are the Lord's people. Let not your heart be lifted up above your brethren. They are your brethren, not only of your flesh, but brethren by covenant with God. Your throne is the Lord's throne. Beware of making his throne a throne of iniquity. But as the throne is the Lord's throne, let the laws be the Lord's laws agreeable to his word. There ends that quote. Well, how well do you suppose that advice to kings has played out since then? Well, just read the histories of abusive authoritarian power, and you'll see why the Founding Fathers left Europe and came to America to strive for a more democratic form of government. Just remember what God told Samuel to warn the people about concerning kings, tyrants, dictators, and authoritarian monarchies in general. God said, you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Our ancestors, like immigrants today, came to the United States to escape the tyrannies God warned us of and to work towards the equality of spirit God intended through perfecting a structure called democracy. 
Some 25 years ago, as a whim to irritate my Old Testament teacher at seminary, I wrote a tale of the stone of Bethel as told by the stone itself. I read that story on this program a few years back, but here it is again, complete with Bible references, if you care to listen. And I titled it The Legend of Jacob's Pillow. And remember, this is the stone itself talking. It's so long ago, I can hardly remember when I was only a stone, a squarish chunk of grave sandstone lying in a heap of other stones just outside a town named Lutz. Nobody called it Lutz today, calls it Lutz today, since Father Jacob renamed it Bethel after me. But I'm getting ahead of my story. It was about 4,000 years ago that it happened. Of course, 4,000 years seems like nothing to a stone because stones live a very long time. But to human beings, 4,000 years is a very long time indeed. About that long ago, Jacob and his party were just passing by at the moment when the sun went down. Jacob was in a hurry and didn't want to stop. He'd left his home in Beersheba, uh, south of Jerusalem, and was on his way to Haran, where his mother's family lived. Jacob had tricked his father Isaac just before he left, and his brother Esau was angry with him too. Jacob's mother, sensing trouble, thought this would be a really good time for Jacob to leave home, find himself a wife, and start a family somewhat safely away from his angry brother. But it was dark and time to camp for the night. To protect the back of his head where he lay on the ground, Jacob selected me, a rock, to be his pillow that night. It changed our lives forever, and now I'll tell you why. As soon as Jacob fell asleep, an amazing thing happened. His dream was my dream, and this is what we dreamed. A staircase went up to heaven, and I was the first step. That's right. A staircase reached up to heaven, and angels were walking up and down on it. Their feet touched me, and I felt the thrill of being linked to heaven. Then, amazingly, God was standing on top of the staircase. God told Jacob he was giving him all the land around us, and that Jacob's children and all their descendants would be countless in number and would spread throughout the whole world. God told Jacob he would be with him wherever he would go. Well, Jacob woke up and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, And this is the gate of heaven. Then he set me, the stone, up as a pillar, poured oil on me, and said I was God's house. Now because God said he would stay with Jacob, Jacob took me, the lowly stone he'd named God's house, on his journey to Haran. Jacob remained in Haran for 14 years, working to earn the wife he loved. Then Jacob saw an angel, the god of Bethel, though whether the angel came out of me, I'm sure I'll never know. I was as surprised as Jacob was. The angel told us to leave Haran and go back to Jacob's home. And here's the quote from Genesis. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, I'm the god of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go forth from this land, and return to the land of your birth. That's Genesis 31, 11 to 13. We had many adventures on the way. 
including a night where Jacob wrestled all night with an angel. Finally, we came to my home, Bethel, because God told Jacob to go back and build an altar for me there. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your, from your brother Esau. Genesis 35.1 Now some people have wondered why God would ask Jacob to build another altar at Bethel, since he had built one the day after his dream about the stairway to heaven. But others have explained it was because he had taken me, the first altar pillar, with him on his travels. For that reason, God wanted him to build another altar there. And Jacob came to Lutz, that is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, God of Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Genesis 35, 6, 7. So Jacob set up a new pillar at Bethel, and God gave Jacob the name of Israel. That's because Jacob's sons would found the 12 tribes of Israel. But I continued to travel with Jacob wherever he went, even to Egypt, when he went there as an old man. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will there make you of you a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Genesis 46, 1-4. Jacob blessed all his sons before he died, but he gave the birthright, and me, the rock of Israel, to his favorite son, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Genesis 49, 22-24 Jacob called me a shepherd, and a shepherd must stay with his flock. After Jacob died, I remained in Egypt with his children and his children's children for more than 200 years, till Moses came to lead Israel's people out of Egypt. When the Pharaoh finally let us go, he allowed the people of Israel to take all their possessions with them, including me. And it was a good thing they took me along, because God used me again along the way. When the people desperately needed water, God told Moses how to make water flow from me, for the people and herds to drink. Unfortunately, though, Moses got in trouble with God for striking me twice. This is from the Bible. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the rod and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them. So you shall give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the rod before the from before the Lord, as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his rod twice. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation drank and their cattle. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to sanctify me in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring that, this assembly into the land 
which I have given them. Numbers 20, 7 through 3. Paul referred to this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote, For they drank from the supernatural rock which followed them, and the rock with, was Christ. And the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Paul's words are not the only time that I've been called a type for Christ, but I've never let it affect me. After all, none of these experiences were of my own doing. Heck, I'm only a rock, and not a pretty one at that. I'm rather dullish, purple in color, about 26 inches long, 16 inches wide, and 10 and a half inches deep, and I, I weigh about 336 pounds. I'm partly smooth, partly rough, with a crack running down my middle. Moreover, there are two metal rings drilled into either end of me and a deep worn groove where the carrying pole rubbed against me after all those miles I traveled. It's not surprising, then, that there have been long times when I have been completely neglected. For instance, after God told Moses to build a gold-covered ark to carry the stones on which God wrote the Ten Commandments, my status as the rock became considerably less important to the people of Israel. In fact, there had been some problem with people worshiping me as if I were some sort of pagan idol. But that became less of a problem after the ark became the mercy seat of God. Still, the people carried me along wherever they went until we reached the promised land. Actually, you know, the promised land was the land I had come from, the land surrounding Bethel, which God had given to Jacob and his descendants. So I was more or less home. And I certainly wasn't ignored. When King Solomon planned his great temple in Jerusalem, the architect studied me to see if I would make a good cornerstone. But I was rejected. Not only was I in the rough, but they decided the crack in me from which the water had flowed in the desert made me unsuitable. So I remained in the tabernacle with the ark, practically forgotten during the seven and a half years it took to build Solomon's temple. But when it was completed, a wonderful thing happened. Out of the blue, it seemed, the temple priests decided that kings should stand by or sit on me during the ceremony, the coronation ceremony. For that purpose, I was moved to the coronation corner of the temple. And from Kings, when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and his people, he went into the house of the Lord to his people, and when he looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, me, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Second Kings 11, 13, 14. Coronations were quite an event, as you can imagine, and I was there with each king. My change of fortune did not go unnoticed either, for it is written in Psalm 118, I thank thee that thou hast answered me and hast become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Those were great days, but they didn't last for long. Israel was surrounded by enemies, and among the most powerful and ruthless were the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Between 745 and 721 B.C., the ten northern tribes known as the House of Israel and a large portion of the southern kingdom known as the House of Judah were conquered and led away into captivity. From Second Kings, Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land 
and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Second Kings 17, 5 and 6. When Jerusalem was threatened, I was hidden away with the ark for safekeeping. It was not until later I learned that most of the northern tribes escaped with their, from their Assyrian captors. Some of them went around the southern end of the Black Sea into the Danube River Valley and the Carpathian Mountains. Other Israelites went through the Darial Pass of the Caucasus Mountains into the steppes of southern Russia. History might never have known for sure if tablets uncovered at the Assyrian Royal Library at Nineveh had not been confirmed, had not confirmed the story told in Second Estrus. And that is, And whereas thou sawest that he gathered among another peaceable multitude unto him, those are the ten tribes which were carried away prisoners out of their own land in the time of Osiah the king, when Salmanasar, Salmanasar, the king of Assyria, led away into another land. But they took this counsel among themselves that they would leave the multitude of the heathen and go forth into further country, where never mankind dwelt, and they might there keep their statutes, which they never kept in their own land. And they entered into Euphrates by the narrow passages of the river. For the Most High then showed signs to them and held still the flood till they were passed over. For through that country there was a great way to go, namely a year and a half, and the same region is called Arsarath. Second Edris, Esdras uh, thirteen thirty nine forty five. Some people said have said that the lost tribes must have taken me with them, but the Assyrians would never have allowed them to take me along. And anyway, Hosea had it right in reporting. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, me, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Hosea 3, 4-5 Yes, I was the coronation pillar that he went without for a time. Yet amazingly enough, I came to meet them in a land far away from Israel under circumstances so surprising that many historians don't believe it even to this day. And that's why I'm here to tell the story. <clears throat> the man who saved me from the hammer and rescued two Israeli princesses in the bargain was the prophet Jeremiah. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made a big mistake. He wanted to wipe out the royal line of David and thereby end God's promise that David's children would rule forever. With this in mind, King Nebuchadnezzar killed Israel's king Zedekiah and all his sons. But what King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know is that under Hebrew law, a daughter can inherit as though she were a son, and the right of descent would pass to her male offspring. Jeremiah escaped to a Milesian garrison with King Zedekiah's daughters, and me, to, uh, he went to Egypt. And to quote Jeremiah, But Jonanon and the son of Kariah and all the commanders of the forces took all of the remnant of Judah 
who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left um, with the son of Achikam, the son of Shaphan. Also Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the, by the way, had told them not to go to Egypt. <laughs> and they uh, and they went by the uh, Greek fortress. Uh, and they arrived at, at Tafanis. Uh, that's uh, Jeremiah 43, 5 to 7. Tafanis, by the way, was the Greek fortress named Daphne and is known today as Tel Daphina. Daphina. It has had walls 40 feet thick and even today is known as uh, the palace of the Jew's daughter in memory of our visit there. Yet even Egypt would not prove safe for us, Jeremiah said, because God told him, all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Jeremiah 43, 27. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with a sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to, to dwell there. For they shall not return except some fugitives. Jeremiah 44, 13, 14. But we few, Jeremiah, Baruch, the princesses, and some others, were safe because of promises made earlier by God to Jeremiah and by Jeremiah's divine commission. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah 1, 10. The Bible reports on the overflow and overthrow and destruction, but it remains silent on the building and the planting. Jeremiah and the others would be called upon to do, for that would take place on the far northern island of Ireland. Now, it is hard for some to understand why Jeremiah, Baruch, the princesses, and I would travel on a boat from Egypt to Ireland, unless they believe, with the ancient historians, that Hebrew seafarers left Egypt at the time of the Exodus to help colonize Greece, found Troy, and established trading posts in England, Scotland, and Ireland. But in recalling this forgotten history of the people of Israel beyond the Middle East, it becomes easy to see why Jeremiah and our company would venture to this new land to escape God's warning to us. There are many legends about establishing and renewing the covenant at Tara, uh, or maybe Torah, Ireland, and how the remnants of the seafaring tribe of Dan merged with the lost tribes as they moved west from their escape from the Assyrians to become the Celts and Gauls. As for me, I remained uh, the coronation stone through all the wars and upheaval and, upheaval and loss of faith to pagan gods and, until the coming to Christianity. I remained in Tara for nearly a thousand years till Fergus the Great removed me to Scotland. In 563, I was taken to Iona, then to Dunstafnedge, and then to Scone, Scotland, where I uh, came to be known as the Stone of Scone. 
1296, Edward I moved me to Westminster Abbey, where I lived until my recent move back to Scotland. And all this time I have served as the coronation stone to the kings who descended from the house of David. If anyone doubts that, they should consult the genealogical table at Windsor Castle, showing the descent of the British kings from David through the Irish and Scottish lines. But enough about charts and dates. Those who believe will believe, and those who won't will not. Suffice it to say that I have continued to play the role as our coronation stone from my arrival in Tara, Tora, Ireland, to my travels to Scotland, to my life in Westminster Abbey, to my recent move back to Edinburgh, Scotland. Today I am known as the Stone of Scone, and for nearly 2,500 years the kings and queens who continue the royal line of David and the promise of God to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob have been crowned sitting over me, where I rested at the base of the British Empire's coronation chair. The most excitement I've had in recent years happened on Christmas Eve, 1950, while the Westminster Choir was singing Noel, some thieves, Scottish nationals, came to St. Edward's Chapel and stole me. Shortly afterward, my captors wrote the newspapers demanding that I should, uh, I should reside in Scotland. Unfortunately, in the process of dragging me out of Westminster Abbey, my ancient crack finally gave way, and they had to put me back together with dowels and cement. My captors finally abandoned me, wrapped in the Scottish flag, St. Andrew's Cross, they left me on the high altar of the ruined abbey of Aberoth in Scotland. But in recent years, I have been relegated to a quiet corner of the world's affairs. With the terrible suffering of the Jews during the Holocaust of World War II, followed by the reestablishment of Israel in 1948, England decided not to annoy their Jewish brothers with claims that upset them. In the early 1950s, the sign describing me as Jacob's Pillow was quietly removed from my place of prominence beneath the coronation chair at Westminster Abbey. And recently, after centuries of demands from the Scots, the Royal House of Great Britain agreed to return me to Edinburgh, Scotland. But sometimes I can't help but think that the blessings and curses of kingship travel wherever I go. For since my return to Scotland, the Scottish independence movement has come full flower again, while the royal house in England has gone into decline. Nevertheless, those who believe my history believe that God's covenant with the house of David has been fulfilled through the thrones of Europe. And to quote Second Samuel, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 2 Samuel 7.16 If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE radio Facebook page, just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.